What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of The Real Impact. I'm your host, Austin Rice. we got a good one lined up for you guys today. So be sure if you guys are taking notes, um, if you guys are tuning in live, ask your questions, um, and we'll get them answered as best we can. Let's get going. All right, so today we have Harris Trail and Neve Cannon. It's Cannon, right? Yeah. All yeah. right, perfect. Um, so, yeah, guys, uh, really just want to open it up. Um, you know, I'll let uh, Harris, you can start us off, but, you know, just kind of tell us a little, you know, quick, you know, two, three minutes about yourself and, um, you know, how you got into real estate. Yeah, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I love the, the intro, man. Whoever put that one together, they did a good job. Appreciate it. Um, but yeah, a little background on me. Um, if you guys don't already follow me on Instagram at Harris Trail, um, I've been in real estate for uh, a little over two years now. Um, started bef- a little bit before all the, the COVID crisis went down. Um, was doing wholesaling at the time, was also in college. So I was a full-time student and, uh, and full-time real estate um, for, for about a whole year. Um, was partnered up with my, my, my other partner in, in this business that we're doing now, um, Ethan Newman at that time, uh, anyway, was successful for the most part in wholesaling, a lot of grinding, as I'm sure you guys know, hitting the, hitting the phones, trying to figure out the systems and processes, really trying to treat it as a business and not just a hobby, um, was able to make some good money from that, um, enough money to drop out of college. Um, and, and start pursuing it full time, going all in, had uh, taken some of that cash too. started getting into multifamily, uh, was doing syndications uh, for a little while. We're not necessarily focusing on it as much anymore. I'd like to focus on it more as time you know, frees up. Um, was doing syndications for a little while, learned a ton about underwriting asset classes, um, you know, really just kind of treating things. Uh, or treating treating properties as as assets for a syndication for for investors to come in and purchase. Um, anyway, was doing that. Also, was getting a bunch of JV leads at the time, um, and and had met up with uh, my man Neve, and uh, decided you know working together, how can we optimize these JV leads that we had? I, I know both me and Neve were both helping wholesalers connect with hedge funds, but just kind of like on a on the side. Right. Um, so yeah, we came together and, and we ended up starting a company, hedgefundcashbuyers.com at the time had no idea it would become what it's become today. It was kind of just, you know, trying to help people out, connect to these funds and man, uh, it just, it blew up and, and, and now we're here and, um, yeah, so that's, that's the last two and a half years on me. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Nee, what about you, man? What's, uh, give us the, the two minute blip about neve and what got what got you into real estate yeah man um nice to see you guys again always good talking to you austin uh my real estate journey started in the beginning of 2020 uh just got out of the israeli army i uh, moved back here to america started wholesaling um started out cold calling uh for a friend of mine that escalated into an acquisition role that escalated into um just running my own wholesale business I had a successful first year, 2020, um, you know, 35 plus deals in my first six, seven months wholesaling alone. Um, Start off in Texas. Now, you know, we've slowly advanced. 
uh, met Harris. Um, and uh, from there, you know, kept wholesaling. Uh, earlier this year, you know, we, we joined forces, uh, decided that, you know, we're better off utilizing, obviously, you know, each other. Uh, started kind of exchanging funds and then that just escalated into this business. And like Harris said, you know, um, it started, you know, it started growing and here we are. No, that's awesome, man. So, yeah, I mean, let's let's kind of dig into that. Right. So obviously you guys were doing things completely separate. Right. And I think, um, you know, I think the common probably like assumption, right, is like, oh, you guys are probably like right next to each other in the same office and <laughs> you guys met up at, at the gym or something like that. So kind of dive into that. Yeah, man. Um, I'm, you know the, the answer to this one, but right. uh, me and Neve live on the total opposite sides of the country. I'm in North Carolina. He's all the way in L.A. Um, we met over Instagram, actually. It was, it was kind of crazy, and that's actually where I met you, too, uh, yeah. Austin. Um, but just DMing each other over Instagram. I know he was working with some hedge funds. I was working with some hedge funds. So we were like, how can we, uh, how can we grow our list, right, and just like kind of work together? Um, and, and yeah, so kind of crazy it's, Instagram it's, bringing people together. Is, yeah, no, I think that's awesome, man. Cause I, it, it just shows like the power of, you know, one like social media, um, but also just to like the power of proximity, right? Like, you know, there's yep. a big, like, there's a big thing around where, you know, you got to pay to be in the right rooms and everything like that. But like nowadays it's not even about the room, right? Nowadays it's just about really just who you're in contact with and who you're in touch with and who you connect with friends of um, friends. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's huge because, you know, like in case you guys missed it, like Harris literally lives in North Carolina and Neve literally lives in California, but they run a business together. Right. And so like to be able to do that is amazing, you know, to be in, you know, the times that we're in right now, to where like you don't have to be in the same office, you don't have to you know be sitting right next to each other, but you can still run a successful business, is incredible. Um, so let's kind of like dive into you know the business is hedge fund cash buyer, right? Hedgefundcashbuyer.com. Hedgefundcashbuyers.com. Yep. Yeah. So let's like uh, let's dive into like the inception of that and kind of what the um, you know kind of what the idea was, and then you know, we'll, we'll get into a little bit deeper about like how it looks now. So I still remember and Neve jump in here at any time, but I still remember that first call that we had. Um, I was sitting in a Wendy's drive through and I was like eating a Asiago chicken cl uh, ranch club from Wendy's <laughs> and I'm on the phone with this man, Neve. And like, keep in mind, like, uh, both me and Neve, we're both busy. We all, we got a bunch of different stuff going on at the time. I was working on some multifamily syndications. We were still, you know, getting in leads for our wholesaling company, et cetera. Cause at the and time you guys like, both had your own individual businesses running yeah, right, and rolling. Yeah. We both had our own individual businesses and we were both just like friends, you know, just mm -hmm. like talking, trying to, trying to help each other out in, in whatever way possible. And this man, Neve is just like, he's like, yo, Harris, honestly, dude, like he was like, you have funds. I have funds. I know you're getting these JV leads. He was like, bro, let's just like, let's just make something out of it. Right. Like let's try and take these leads and we'll, we'll, you know, join forces and together we're going to be able to get way more deals closed than just by ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time I didn't even know Neve was like a wizard when it comes to transactions, but that is his thing. Like uh, probably the most elite transactions coordinator I've ever seen in my life. Um, just in all aspects. Um, 
but yeah, it just kind of started there where it was just one conversation where it was like, Hey, I know I can get, uh, I have wholesalers reaching out to me with deals all the time, you know, trying to connect with these hedge funds mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and you have the ability to get them closed, you know, and, and go through all the, the hoops with, with, uh, transactions and, and et cetera. So, um, from there just started trying to formalize it and make it a business. Nice. So Neve, what's, so let's, let's talk about that, right? You said you're a transactional wizard. So <laughs> what's, 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 uh, kind of like elaborate on that, you know, like what's mm-hmm. he, what's he talking about? Mm-hmm. So appreciate the, uh, appreciate the stint Harris. Um, so yeah, you know, I have a lot of experience dealing with different types of transactions. When I first started wholesaling, uh, I really understood that as a low level wholesaler, I was really going to maximize on my returns. If I, um, you know, knew how to double close correctly, how to assign correctly, um, you know, how to work with these, with these funds. And so, um, throughout my wholesaling experience, I've always taken a, a, a very, uh, educational kind of, I I've approached the transactional process with an educational mentality. I mean, I'm always trying to learn. I would hop mm-hmm. on the phone, escrow officers. Hey, how, how does this work? Hey, how does this work? Right. What is a HUD? And, um, you know, just been through a lot of sticky deals that led me to have this experience. Um, now by transactional wizard, what Harris is referring to is a lot of times, you know, with these types of wholesale deals, you know, we're, we'll be dealing with wholesalers who, um, you know, might have multiple contracts in place, multiple assignments in place, and it takes, you know, a very detailed transaction coordinator to be able to, uh, you know, organize a lot of these transactions where there's multiple wholesalers involved, multiple people know different things. And as a transaction coordinator, you got to kind of bring everybody together. And so that was one thing I was always good at, good at coordinating with different escrow firms. I think it's a crucial part of, uh, you know, getting wholesale deals done. Uh, and especially if you know you're a newer wholesaler, you know, when you need to save a thousand, two thousand dollars here and there, um, yeah. you know, knowing That's how to read a HUD correctly, knowing whether, you know, whether to assign, whether to double close uh, will, will help you in the long run. And it's definitely helped us, you know. Well, and, and to touch on that, too. Um, and this was something that at the time I had been working with hedge funds as a wholesaler, just trying to sell uh, deals periodically to them. Um, but I didn't necessarily understand the value of mm-hmm. having good transactions coordination with these funds because they will cut you off in a second. If you have a messy deal or a dirty deal, then you'll get blacklisted and you'll never get an offer from these funds again. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I feel like that's what's made our business so successful to an extent is because our relationships with the funds are so strong now because we don't have deals that are that get messy we don't have and if they do get messy the funds never know like we take right. care of it on our we side it up on the back end it, exactly and yeah. and i think that's like the biggest value especially if you're a wholesaler trying to sell to these funds is like you got to be on your shit because at any point you know they can cut you yeah. and uh and, and, and there you go thousands of dollars down the drain yeah so let's um no nah, i agree man like you know we've experienced it i know you know i've got I've got colleagues that experience it all the time. You know, they get blacklisted or cut or, you know, oh, so-and-so never responds. They do, just not to you, right? So, yeah. um, no, I think that's crucial, man. Like, you know, you've got to be, you know, on top of your game. You've got to be, you know, Johnny on the spot whenever, you know, these funds are asking for something or they're requesting documents or anything like that. But, um, 
So now let's back up a little bit, right? For anybody listening to this or watching this, um, what is a fund, right? Because I think, you know, I think that, that like they get that phrase gets thrown around a lot, right? Especially like on Instagram and stuff like that, where people are like, yeah, you know, we're, we're selling funds. the funds, sell the funds, yeah. you know, sell the hedge funds. But at the end of the day, you know, like somebody just getting started or somebody that, you know, may, may kind of be doing like a deal or two a month, right? And hasn't really found that consistent or, you know, doesn't even know that hedge funds exist, right? Like what is a fund? And then we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper into like the benefits of, you know, selling to them. Yeah. Um, I can answer this one, Neve. Um, I mean, explaining exactly what a fund does can be, we can go on for an hour. Right. About that's, that. a whole, that's a whole different episode in itself. That's, yeah. yeah that's, that's its own episode. Um, from a high level, if you're a wholesaler, you got to look into selling to funds. It's basically just wall street buyers, um, mm -hmm. big wall street buyers that are raising up, you know, hundreds of thousands, not hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, I know, uh, Blackstone recently released an article. They're a big, uh, a big fund that a lot of people know of just raised like $50 billion and they're taking all of this money that they've raised and they're putting it into, single family real estate, long-term rentals. Well, and like in that article, like the exact verbiage was distressed real estate. Exactly. Like, and if you're like, if you're a wholesaler or anything like that, like, like that should get you excited because like the exact verbiage coming from the top down was they just raised this capital to deploy into distressed single family real estate. Yep. Yep. So these, these big funds are raising tons of money and they're buying tons of properties, hundreds of properties uh, a month. And, and that's why they could be so valuable, not only because, yes, they're actively buying and they're in a bunch of different markets. So, you know, you have a guaranteed buyer, but they're also buying in so much volume that they're able to, to be more aggressive. Their margins are lower um, and they're able to you know, come in typically higher than a lot of other cash buyers, a lot of local guys especially mm -hmm. if it's, it's clean and cookie cutter. Um, so that's where like the real value can be made is just in the extra cash that it produces. And yes, you have to work with the funds because the funds, uh, every fund has their own process and you got to really kiss their ass if you want to get good offers. But if you do, then man, it, it comes back to you tenfold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of people too, like the, the follow-up question to that would be, you know, how they make money flipping these properties. So just to, just to add on to that, Harris, and to answer that question, Austin, yeah. uh, number one, just to clarify, uh, the, the word hedge fund gets to get, you know, gets, tends to get thrown around very often. Uh, yes. It's really a REIT, a real estate investment trust. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, these REITs, what their goal is, you know, they're looking for long-term investments, right? So they're looking to add to their ever-growing portfolios. They're not looking to exit. They're looking to hold these assets and make money off the cash flow. Uh, yeah. At the end of the day, uh, I think that wholesalers, you know, they don't exactly understand why these funds are willing to outbid other buyers. And I think the reason is yeah. because it's a competitive marketplace at the moment. And, you know, these funds are, uh, you know, they're they're receiving money from another lender. And so every day that they don't hit their quota as far as what they need to buy, you know, they're losing money on, on what they owe on inflation. Um, on their interest that they're paying. And so they're on a time crunch to, to buy these houses. And so as a wholesaler, you know, if you understand this and you understand that, you know, they are on this time crunch to purchase these assets and, you know, they're looking to purchase assets within a certain criteria. Um, you know, if you can cater to that, 
you can maximize um, on, you know, the pros of working with these funds, which is, of course, like everybody knows, um, you know, they offer typically the highest, you know, they'll mm -hmm. outbid every other uh, investor 99% of the time. Uh, and as a wholesaler, especially in today's market, you know, with sellers wanting more uh, and local, you know, mom and pop buyers wanting to pay less, that really is a solution to kind of keep your business running. And as long as you understand their long, you know, their goal, which is long-term investing, and you can align your business, you know, with that goal of theirs, uh, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're going to set yourself up for success, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, that's one of the biggest things too, is like, you know, anytime I talk to somebody and they ask about it, like, I always just tell them, like, you got to learn your, your buyer's business strategy, right? Yep. Like you got to learn what their business model is. You got to learn what their exit strategy is, because then you know why they're like, then you know how to price the deals one, right? Like, you know how to sell it to them. You know how to price them. But at the end of the day too, you understand it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, cause I think that's a big, I think it's a big reason why like a lot of like people just getting started don't work with funds is because they don't understand it. Right. And you know, I think especially like as like an entrepreneurial mindset or anything like that, when we don't understand something. It's like freaky. Right. Yeah. We're like, ah, you know, like, oh, it's risky, but that's when where like that, that back end too. I didn't mean to cut you off. There. No, you're good. Yeah. Talking sometimes. Um, knowing that back end too, I feel like it, it helps you know what you need to offer on the front end. Yeah. You can back your way into a deal. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's the reverse engineering, right? Like, you know, you know where your buyers are going to come in. So now you know what kind of room you've got with your seller, right? Now you know what kind of offer you can make. Now you know, like, okay, they didn't take, you know, our first initial offer. We have, you know, X amount of room to negotiate. Um, so like, and again, I think another question too is like, what do you say to these people that are like, oh, funds are evil. They're buying the block, you know? Cause I mean, you see those articles all the time, right? You see the fear mongers and you see, oh, yeah. you know, people like that. So like, What's kind of like, what's the, what are you guys saying to those people? Bro, I'm scared too. Like honestly, <laughs> I, they're buying up the whole neighborhoods and home ownership is, is, is on the decline. Right. And, and, and we're seeing this happening a lot in Europe, uh, Asia, these hedge funds own like 70, uh, 70, 80% of what's on the marketplace. And, and they're just holding it long-term home, home ownership is just, it's nothing like how it is here in America. I'm um, in, in America's trending that direction and yeah, it's scary. Um, but let's make money off of it. Right. Like if we're going right. to, if, if the fund can uh, take that money and give you an extra 10 grand in your pocket so that you can go and start buying your own rentals and holding them long-term, that's how we combat it. We don't combat it by being on social media and, and, and not <laughs> making any money off of it. You know what I mean? Like that's keyboard warrior. Exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> let's capitalize on what's in front of us. Yeah. No, Love I agree. Uh, just to add on that, you know, here's the thing, man, these funds, I mean, Wall Street money, man, they're going to buy out all these houses, dude. And so it just comes down to you're going to ride the wave because this is the lucrative wave now. Right. You know, if you're a wholesaler, you're either working with funds. And if you are at a fund, good, you know, good on your part, because you're about to own all of America. But the question is, is, you know, if you're a wholesaler, <laughs> are you going to capitalize on on this on this mass acquisition of theirs? Um and also, you know, we just keep in mind, I, I personally feel like they're stabilizing the market. You mm -hmm. know, um, the fact that these funds are buying, you know, so many properties, what would the marketplace look like if the funds stopped buying, if they all cut their acquisition today? I mean, you'd see a massive amount of new listings. Um, I think, you know, your average purchase price would decrease, you know, mm -hmm. um, buyer interest would go down. And so, you know, from one point we could say, hey, you know, these funds are currently stabilizing the, the market, you know. 
Yeah, no, and I, I agree. Like to that point too, right? Like they're, I mean, at, at the end of the day, the the houses that they're buying, they're listing as rentals, right? So they're providing housing for a lot of middle class America, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of your a lot of your middle class, you know, families and things like that. Like they're providing, you know, subjectively, you know, reasonable, affordable housing for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's nice. They're in nice neighborhoods, nice areas, you know. So, I, you know, I, that's kind of where like and, and at the end of the day, too. Right. Like all these funds and everybody like they have their little box. Right. That they stay in, you know, and like we'll dive into that a little bit deeper. Right. But like they have their little box that they stay in. And like, in my opinion, their little box is less than 50 percent of the houses in the country. Oh, yeah. Probably like like way less. Yeah. And so it's like to the people that say they're buying up the block or they're buying up whatever. Right. That's just because you're so focused on the transactions and the volume of transaction. You're not focused on the mass scale, because like if you look at it from a mass scale, they only own maybe three percent. Right. And I don't know the exact number. So like, don't quote that if you're listening to this, you know, don't comment (laughs) and be like, oh, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Um, (laughs) You know, like they don't own as much as like, you know, what it seems like. Right. Um, so that's my two cents on that. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think you're, you're you're not wrong either in the sense of, you know, the their, their buy box, what the properties that they're looking to buy is very specific. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like later in this podcast, I'd like to touch on that as well. Just like yeah. watching what these hedge funds are buying, because as, me and Neve. Um, you know, as we're starting to look to, to buying rentals as well, we're following the hedge fund buy criteria. Mm-hmm. Uh, these these funds are smart. I mean, it's Wall Street. There's a lot right. of people spending a lot of time trying to figure out what the ideal rental is, the least risk and the most reward. Yeah. Um, and it's a formula and there's there's different things that like. And they nine, adjust it all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you I know, mean, I, the basics remain, right? Like the, mm-hmm. you know, the not on the busy roads, flat yards, no flood zones, like yeah. very things that most investors don't even talk about, to be honest. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, too, like um, it's a good guideline, right? Especially for your flippers, right? Because if if you want to if you want to be able to get competitive pricing as a, you know, as a local like flipper, go against the hedge fund buy box, right? You want to be able to get good deals and still get good pricing and, you know, still have volume, go after the properties that aren't, that don't fit this box. Right. And I think that's what, like you said, right. The, the funds have these, you know, they have full-time analysts on staff, full-time data engineers on staff, you know, like, so they've got all these people on staff to do all this. So yeah, like they're going to find the ideal rental and the ideal, you know, like we talked about, like the ideal middle class rental, right? But that leaves so much opportunity for anything that's above that buy box or anything that's below that buy yep, box. Flip. But what happens is so many people, because of what they're going after, so many people get so caught up in that. And then they're like, oh, they're buying everything. There's no opportunities on the market. There's no deals on the market. There's nothing. We can't find anything. But it's just because they're so focused on that. Whereas like if you go below it or above it, you go, you dip into, you know, semi-luxury, there's so many opportunities out there. And mm-hmm. so I think it's just some of these local flippers and, you know, and uh, 
you know, companies are just getting so caught up. And honestly, I think it's just jealousy too, right? It, it, you know, you see these companies just buying in in bulk, right? Because that's what they're doing, right? They're buying hundreds of, of houses a month and, you know, they, they're struggling to get two or three, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, but yeah, I wanted to touch on something too real quick before we dig deeper into the, you know, the whole hedge fund rabbit hole. Um, so obviously like both you guys kind of had your own things going prior, right? And now, you know, we've, we've talked, you guys are both full, you know, full feed, you know, full steam ahead with the hedge fund cash buyers.com. So explain like that transition, right? Going from, you know, direct to seller, you know, marketing, direct to seller negotiation to now, like you guys are basically like B2B sales, right? Yep. Um, so kind of explain how that transition was and, you know, what you guys struggled with, what was easy and, and, you know, dive into that a little bit more. So I guess I'll take this one. Um, so having worked as a, you know, a CEO, right. Of a, of a, uh, wholesale business, traditional direct to seller, cold calling, call tools, the whole nine buying lists, etc. Um, starting from that business model, um, you know, transitioning to the back end uh, mainly was caused by us mutually understanding that we need to follow the money. Right. Mm-hmm. And so just like in today's marketplace, you know, we're slowly, slowly, you know, transferring into this buyer's market. We understood that we need to follow the money. And I think that in today's marketplace as a wholesaler, you should follow the money because as we you know, transition into this buyer's market, um, the buyer is of value now, right? So the mm-hmm. buyer holds the value. And so if you have the buyers, you'll do more deals, right? And if you're, let's just say, currently wholesaling and you're looking to transition to that co-wholesaling, um, you know, number one, you're cutting your marketing expense. So mm-hmm. you're no longer cold calling. You're no longer, you know, doing direct to seller acquisitions. Every lead that you're now talking to has a contract, Right. And so instead of talking to 50 leads in a day and each lead is a homeowner thinking of selling, well, now each one of your leads is a contract. Right. So making that into, you know, this business model was a very positive transition. Um, Not only does it cut marketing costs, um, but just with the the state of the market, it's the right thing to do. Uh, It's not an easy transition to make, especially if you're used to direct to seller marketing. Um, I just think that it really involves understanding your buyers and instead of focusing on finding the deal and now I have the deal and I could present this and this deal now has value and I'm going to focus on the front end, focus on your buyers first, the deals will come because Mm -hmm. that's the market that we're currently in. And so transitioning to that, we understood that we kind of foresaw it a little bit early, glad that we made that transition because, you know, if you're a wholesaler and you're thinking of making that transition, um, you know, now's the time, right? Uh, but there's always going to be a need for those direct to seller wholesalers. Um, and there's always going to be pros and cons. You know, if you're going to be, you know, working direct to seller, um, you, you're going to be able to maximize on those really juicy big deals mm-hmm. because, you know, you're not getting that deal from from another wholesaler. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I think to, to touch on that too, um, both of our wholesaling operations were successful, Neve. I mean, we both closed. I think you you closed more deals in your first year than we did in ours. I think we did like 22 deals in our first year. You did like, what did you say, 35? 
Yeah. So, I mean, both of us were, were fairly decent at, at, at wholesaling. Um, but it was still hard. Like it was grind, man. Like yeah. you had to grind to get those leads um, and, and close those deals. And like one thing that, that I think we really learned was that if you're having uh, difficulty making money in your, in your business, don't always just look at the systems that are in your business. Yes, you obviously want to look at the systems that are in your business. That's very important in your process and how you're doing things. But also look at your model. Does mm-hmm. your model set you up for success? Are you climbing an uphill battle versus, you know, an easier model that that might, and, and in my opinion, I believe that going to JVs and, and trying to be a connector piece is a little bit of an easier model than going direct to the seller uh, for the sole reason being of, uh, just like Neve said, instead of talking to 50 homeowners and one of those 50 might want to sell and then you give that offer, you're talking to 50 wholesalers who all want to sell within 30 days mm-hmm. and you're getting offers on all 50 and then you close like 10 of them. You know what right. I mean? And yeah. it's easier conversation too. Yeah, your lead to contract, your lead to deal, I mean, your your like lead to close deal ratio goes significantly down. Significantly down. Right. Whereas like direct to seller. Right. I think it's probably shit. I would probably say probably one of 50. Right. One of 45, one to 50 is probably about average. And, you know, where you guys are probably sitting probably like one to 10, one to 15. One of of seven and seven point two right now as of last month as average. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's literally going from, you know, you got to get 45 de- like leads to be able to capitalize and potentially make money on one. Because the thing is, you know, with the direct to seller, right? Like you said, now you, you gotta, you gotta negotiate, you get the seller in a contract, but then now you got to go find the buyer, you got to negotiate with the buyer. So it's like just getting it under contract doesn't guarantee you make money. Yeah. Right. Um, to whereas like now, like you said, every lead you guys are getting in, it's already under contract. The, the, you know, Everything's already been negotiated. Now it's just a matter of like, hey, this fits the buy box. Boom. Now we can send it. Now we can get offers on it. And then, you know, then you make it work from there. Yep. And and, and there's a million different business strategies that mm-hmm. you can do that'll be successful. You know, selling deals to hedge funds is just the one that's worked for us. And it was kind of the one that fell in our laps because we had just worked so hard when we were wholesaling to get hedge funds. Right. We had this big list, but we weren't taking advantage of it. Um, to its full extent. But in, in the industry, I mean, think about if you're wholesaling, continue wholesaling. I, yeah. I mean, it works for a lot of people and it generates a lot of cash and you need that cash. But think about how can you also provide another service that services the wholesale industry? Mm-hmm. How can you service the main industry and be kind of a little niche off to the side that has a great business model and a great business strategy to where it can be a cash cow if you grow it to a certain extent? And, and that's just the question you got to ask yourself as an entrepreneur. Right. No, no, I, I love that, man. Um, so like, let's kind of dive in now, um, you know, with the, you know, like we talked about earlier, right. You said the funds have, you know, buy boxes, right. And so they've got their criteria, you know, that they want. Um, so let's, you know, I'll let you kind of expand a little bit more on, you know, what is a buy box? Like how, how is a wholesaler, like, how does that affect you? Um, you know, and, and just expand on that. Neve, you want to take this one? Yeah. So for anybody that doesn't know, 
a buy box is a term that's used for buying criteria. And so buying criteria is simply what it means. It's criteria that these funds are purchasing within, right? And so if you've ever done a deal with a, with a hedge fund or if you've ever maybe had comp communication with a hedge fund rep, uh, you'll know that they, they might have sent you or you might have requested that they send you what's called a buy box. And it's basically um, a breakdown of what they're going to buy. So just to give you guys an example, um, you know, one of the funds that we work with, they have a very simple buy box. They only buy properties that are built uh, uh, on or after 1950. They'll only buy properties that are you know, 1,200 square feet or greater in living area. You know, they'll only buy properties that are on sewer, no septic. So it's this whole list of purchase criteria. Now, these funds are using the purchase criteria uh, to, to, to acquire. And if they receive a deal that's outside of their buy box, they'll simply reject it. Now, certain funds are strict with their buy box. Certain funds are slightly less strict with their buy box. Um, sometimes we'll do what's called a flex test to kind of determine, okay, you know, how strict is this fund really? Meaning if they say they buy 1950 and we submit something or present something that's 1949, are they going to underwrite it? So mm -hmm. that's more or less what the buy box looks like. And as a wholesaler, you should know, um, you know, if you want to maintain a professional relationship with said fund, you know, don't submit or present a deal that's not within that buy box because, you know, you as a wholesaler, um, you know, what we're doing to provide value is we're filtering for that buy box. We're already pre-qualifying it. And so if you're a wholesaler submitting deals and you check that buy box uh, before you submit the deal, um, you know, the fund rep or whoever you're speaking to at that fund is really going to appreciate you. Um, but simply put, just a, a list of criteria that you stick to uh, when determining, you know, uh, uh, you know what to send. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, guys, we are, we are live. So if you guys do have any questions, just put them in the, in the comment section and we'll get them, we'll get them answered. But like the way that I like to look at that is like, it's literally just like, they're, they're, they're literally just creating an, a menu, right? They're yeah. giving you an order and you just got to fill it. Right. So like if you go to a restaurant and you want your steak medium rare, they're bringing out well done. You're not, you're probably going to say, nah, I want it you know, we need to recook it, right? I want it medium rare. Um, same thing with the funds, right? They're telling you exactly what they want. And so now all you got to do is just find that, you know, and get a good deal on that, right? Yep. And yep. I think to your point, right? I think too many, too many people out there get so caught up in the fact of like, oh my God, like we need the funds more than they need us, Right. Where it's like they, you know, yes, we have to have a business relationship. Yes, we have a, we have to have a working relationship. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's a it's a mutual need, right? They need they need us just as bad as we need them, because they don't have teams out there sourcing these off market properties. You know, they don't have teams out there doing that. We are the team, right? As the wholesalers submitting deals and working with them, right? Like we are the team, and so. They have capital, like you guys talked about earlier, that they need, like they legally have to, have to deploy, right? They will literally get in trouble if they do not deploy the capital. They will lose their funding, right? And so it's like we're providing that service and filling that order for them. Um, and I think that's where, like, as wholesalers, we have to recognize that, like, we do provide value to these hedge funds. We do provide value to these Wall Street buyers, and it's not necessarily like a, a dependency, you know, on them. Yes, they do pay the most. Yes, in most situations, the process is super simple and super easy. But at the end of the day, they're a dime a dozen right now. 
And it's all about relationships and how you work with them and how, you know, how smooth and efficient, like you guys were talking about your processes and working with them. Yeah. And, and to kind of touch on that as well, especially that, that last part, you, you have to be with these funds. Yes. It's a mutual relationship, but you also have to realize that they're getting a ridiculous amount of submissions. Yeah. I mean, they're they're These reps are flooded with submissions. They're going to work with who they like. Exactly. They're going to work with who they like and who they know can close too, and who's professional. Um, and I think that's where a lot of these wholesalers, because we, we have a lot of clients that come into our system that have funds that they say they send properties to, but the funds don't give them offers. <laughs> yep. And, and, and it's the same fund that we're closing like four or five deals on a month with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's the, the, the benefit of having that relationship and building that relationship doesn't necessarily just come with being on the phone with them all the time because the, the reps, a lot of these reps, especially at some of the, the big hitter funds, uh, barely answer the phone because they're just so they're, – they're so swamped. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of have to build up to getting them to answer the phone by being on your email, being quick with the emails, having contracts in place, not sending them deals that aren't under contract or, or sending them deals where uh, it's a muddy, muddy situation with the seller or whatever, or sending them deals that are outside of their buy box. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's the biggest thing to, to building these relationships and kind of what uh, I think has allowed us – to, to be able to get so many good offers from pretty much all the big funds. I don't, we don't really have any funds that, that have ghosted us because they know when they get a property from us, not only does it fit the buy box perfectly or it's right on the edge of the buy box. And we let them know that it's on the edge of the buy box. Mm-hmm. Um, and we run the numbers ahead of time. So we know we're sending them good deals, but we also are just snappy with all the contracts. We have everything in place. We respond quick. Um, and we do things by the book. And that's just the kind of way that you have to play with these institutions. Yeah. Like just exactly like you said, right? Because at the end of the day, they're institutions, right? They're not, you know, Joe Schmo's flipping co. Yeah. Like they're institutions. They're a lot of them are publicly traded REITs, right? So it's like they have a board or they have, you know, directors. They have other people they have to answer to. They have investors, they have lenders, they have all these different levels of, you know, kind of ownership, right? And so we, as, you know, let's call it what it is, we're a vendor relationship with them. Yep. So now we have to, like, we are going to get, we're going to be vetted. We're going to be audited. Like if, if, and if, if anybody listening to this, anybody watching this thinks that doesn't happen, you're wrong. Yeah. Right. They're going to go through their system. They're going to go through their CRM. They're going to go through their closed deals. They're going to audit the transactions. They're going to audit the companies they came from. They're going to go through and they're going to say, hey, this company sent us, you know, 15 deals last month, but only three of them actually closed. Right. What's up? What's the issue? What's going on? Right. Like they are doing that. Right. They're massive conglomerates or massive companies. They have the infrastructure to do that, you know, and. You, you got to think they're, they're scared about getting sued too. Mm-hmm. So like if you don't have your contracts and you don't have things done by the book, you know, it's, it's, it's not worth it for them to, to get sued by it, by a homeowner, by the homeowner that you end up closing the deal with, but the homeowner finds out that you did something shady and it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't right. And there was some calls and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, who's Blackstone? I'm suing Blackstone. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's the last thing these funds want. And that's why they have all of these, these checks and balances. Exactly. Exactly. So 
let's kind of break down, you know, y'all's business model, right? Hedgefundcashoffers.com. So kind of break it down, you know, from a granular level, um, you know, how does somebody, how does somebody work with you guys? What's the process like once they do, you know, like what's the benefit, you know, like give us your, give us your pitch essentially. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll take this one, Neve. Um, so it's hedgefundcashbuyers.com. Um, That's if you submit to our, essentially we're just acting as a connector piece, right? So there's you and then there's us and you send the deal to us and then we send your deal to the funds. Um, and we basically act as that filter to make sure that if we send your deal to the funds, it not only fits the buy box, there's not only contracts in place, um, but anything else that we need, any information that we need, the funds have it. So we're kind of that filtering piece that does that hard work for you. Um, that being said, if you go to our website, hedgefundcashbuyers.com, you submit a deal to us. Um, we're going to give you a preliminary range within 24 hours. So some of these funds, they can take you know, two, sometimes four days, depending on how big and how backed up they are uh, to give you that firm bid. And yeah, they might come in, you know, $15,000 over asking price, but you got to give them that little bit of time. Mm -hmm. um, we've just dialed in on the underwriting. We've sent them so many deals. We've talked with their underwriting teams. We know the generally speaking, what the calculation is. Um, so we'll give you a preliminary offer up front, typically 24 hours. If you submit a deal to us, we're going to give you an offer Within 24 hours, we're going to say, hey, this is what we can expect. Should we send it or should we not send it, right? And if we send it, offers could come in higher or lower than whatever we said, um, but we're at least on the same page before we ever send it. Right. Um, that being said, we work with like, what is it, like 33 different funds right now actively giving us offers. Um, list is always growing. I mean, we got a ton of different funds that we work with and, and 29 different states, 30 different states. Um so yeah, that's, that's, that's the breakdown. That's the process. Perfect. Now, I mean, I would say right now too, especially with, you know, the market constricting and the market, you know, doing what it's doing, like we talked about earlier, like it is shifting to a buyer's market, you know? And um, I think right now when it comes to as a wholesaler being successful and being able to like capitalize on any deals that you get, especially like if you're direct to seller, like a lot of that's just going to come back to how many people see it. Right. Yep. How many eyes can you have on a deal? How many people can you have that can make an offer on it? Like and, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in that, like regardless if it's a hedge fund deal or a fix and flip deal or regardless, like it's, it's going to come down at the end of the day to what type of relationships you have and then how many people see it and get the opportunity to bid on it. Right. Yep. And that I think is going to be the differentiator between who makes it out alive. Right. And then you know, who kind of fizzles their way out with the market, you know, constricting like it is. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of, of wholesalers and we work with a lot of real estate agents too, but that's why they like our website specifically for the reason being of we're not a hedge fund, like we're not a fund. So yeah, you can send your deal to one fund, right? And that one mm -hmm. fund could be temporarily paused in Florida for Hurricane Ian and right. not give you an offer. Um, but, you know, when you're working with us, if, as long as it fits the buy box, we could send it to you know 15, 20 different funds and two of them might not buy in Florida because of Hurricane Ian, but the other 18 will. Yeah. Um, and then and then it's just a bidding war among all of them. And then you're getting the best price. So it's it's having options, right? And any any business, any anything is always good. Perfect. Now, 
Neve, I would say like based on your background and everything, I would say that's probably a lot uh, has to do a lot with uh, what makes you so good at the transactional side, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Coming yeah. from that, that military background and just detail oriented and process driven. I would say mm-hmm. that that's probably got a lot to do with that. So how, how have you kind of like built out the process on your end? So, yeah, and, and, and definitely, you know, having a military background, um, you know, I was a sergeant in, in the IDF. And so I was a, uh, you know, I, I commanded a group of uh, 12 guys and, you know, led them through training and whatnot. And so that always, you know, that, that pushed me to be very detail oriented and very organized, which I think is an essential you know, a, a, a trade as a, as a transaction coordinator, as a disposition rep, et cetera. Um, as far as our transactional process, I think it's very uh, proprietary the way that we the way that we go about these transactions on a simple level. Um, you know, number one, just to kind of give you a breakdown of what it looks like for me. You know, when a deal comes across my plate, it's already, you know, been through underwriting. It's already been qualified. It gets to my plate. You know, the first thing that I do is I vet the underlying purchase and sale agreement, right? And so, you know, looking at the underlying close date, looking at the escrow firm on the underlying, making sure that, you know, is title open? If so, has that earnest money, you know, been deposited by the, the wholesaler? Um, you know, is that, contra- is that contract actually uh, binding, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first thing that I'll check. Um, second step, I'd say, of the transaction process, you know, once we vet the underlying PSA, it's just qualifying, you know, the additional details, things that I need to know. Um, such as, you know, sewer, septic, homeowner association fees, are the rental restrictions, um, really the, the bottom line red flags, important uh, key line items that we need to know before presenting this deal. Um, and, you know, once we've obviously presented a deal, um, you know, throughout this entire process, we're constantly making sure that relationship with seller A on that ABPSA uh, with, you know, the, the wholesaler seller, um, how is that relationship? Are we intact? Are you in communication with this seller? Um, making sure that that contract is always binding. Um, as a transaction coordinator and someone that's overseeing transactions, you know, in any wholesale business, especially if you're co-wholesaling, that's your main priority. Um, yep. Additionally, on top of that, you know, uh, you know, speed, man, working, working fast. You know, too many mm-hmm. people. You get an email and you check it 20 minutes later. No, you get an email, you check it right then and there. You know, you get a task, you do it right then and there. Um, and I think that's such a massive component of being good at these transactions and, and, you know, really these buyers, their transaction coordinators and these escrow companies wanting to work with you is answer your damn email. I see so many people that will get an email, Hey, escrow opens, I need such and such. And they'll just wait a day to respond. It's like, dude, answer your email, be on top of your shit, um, get it done. Right. And that ties into, you know, HUDs, reviewing HUDs, um, you know, settlement statements, scheduling inspections. So be on top of your shit. Um, as they say in the military, uh, it's kind of what is, is the reason why, you know, our back end is so killer, you know, um, you know, we, we keep each other accountable. And from a transaction standpoint, you have to do everything as quickly as possible because, you know, especially when you're working with these funds, man, you know, they have their own transaction coordinators. Mm-hmm. They're used to working with brokers, if you're a wholesaler, you're already slightly looked down upon. And so you need to make up for that um, with all of these little things, right? Right. So all in all, man, transactions, um, know your numbers, you know, answer your emails and just work quickly. And, you know, if you do that, I mean, that that's kind of what um, allowed Set us. Set you apart. Yeah. 
Yeah. Cause I think, I think too, like, right. Like uh, I think as you know, people just getting started or like that haven't found that like consistency or like, haven't like, you know, cause I think a lot of people, right. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Right. But I think a lot of us, when we first get into wholesaling, it's looked at as like a, just another way to make money. Yeah. Right. And it's not until we start thinking of it as an actual business, as an actual company that we start really putting these processes and these SOPs in place. So like a lot of people, they, they focus so hard on getting the deal under contract. They focus so hard on finding a buyer, but they neglect the transactional process. Mm-hmm. Right. I can tell you when I first started, I did. I damn sure did. Right. Like Same here. I, was, I was so focused on getting, getting the next deal. I was so focused on getting buyers in place that like, like exactly what Neve said, right. Email would come through from title and I'd be like, oh, let me get to that tomorrow. Or oh, let me get to that in, you know, 30 minutes or paperwork. Let me, let me eat lunch real quick. And then let me figure out what they're, what they're asking for. Right. So, and obviously like as we've grown, like that precedence has gotten a lot different, you know, and like, you know, to your point, like we're, as soon as it like emails from title take precedence over any other emails. Right. Cause those are, that's money on the line, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I think, you know, to what you just said, like, that's a huge value for, you know, your partners and for these people that you guys are working with, because a lot of them are just similar to like what I was just explaining. Right. A lot of them get an email from a title company. They're like exactly what Harris did. Oh, paperwork. You yeah. know, or or they'll ask for something and they don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. Because let's be real, okay? A lot of the a lot of the people that are out there getting deals right now, they're not necessarily the most educated in the real estate, the back end process, the HUDs, the mm-hmm. you know different type of liens, the different type of judgments, how to clear a judgment, how to clear a lien. Like, and it's no knock to them. They're really, really, really good at finding deals, but they struggle with that right? They struggle with the administrative process. They struggle with the title process. So, you know, that's just a whole, aside from finding the buyer, aside from getting them the highest offer, aside from, you know, all of that, right? Just being able to coordinate the transaction in a smooth, efficient process is a whole different value in and of itself. Yeah. And just to, just to add to that, man, um, sheesh, the, the difficulty uh, as a new wholesaler of successfully coordinating a transaction. I mean, think about this. If you're a wholesaler, most of the time, let's be real here. I'd say 50% plus wholesalers aren't actually disclosing to the seller that they're doing a wholesale deal. Number one, mm-hmm. let's make that clear, right? Nobody's a majority of people aren't, Hey, I'm wholesaling this. I'm yeah, buying 90% new people. Yeah. <laughs> 90%, I don't want to, right. But let's call it 90. Um, most of these transactions, these escrow officers, you got to know, okay, what do I tell the escrow officer? the escrow officer's got to be briefed on what do they tell the seller? What don't they tell the seller? What do you tell the buyer? What don't you tell the buyer? Separate email threads, ABs, BCs, it can get real complicated. And especially if you're trying to scale, I mean, you're going to need to lock in that transaction process or you will not be able to scale because getting deals is one thing. Like you said, finding buyers is one thing, but knowing the actual traditional, you know, knowing the laws, and rules in place surrounding real estate transactions, what you can do and what you can't. It's so crucial to get get educated on that. Um, that'll really, really, you know, just help you because I we find so many wholesalers that they'll send us like an underlying PSA that's written on like a freaking piece of paper. <laughs> oh my gosh! No close date, <laughs> no escrow firm, no nothing. Yeah. They don't even know what an EMD receipt or they don't even know what title is. They just 
You know, they just expect yeah. to to escrow and get paid. It's like you got to learn. You got to educate yourself on the side of real estate that most wholesalers don't educate themselves on, which is, you know, the 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 the, the legalities behind a contract. You know, what's binding, what's not binding. So I think mm -hmm. a lot of wholesalers need to get more educated on this. And if you educate yourself, you'll find that um, you'll be able to use these escrow companies and title firms to your advantage and, you know, even have more exit strategies and whatnot, you know? Yeah. Neve, where did you go to learn? Like, how did you learn transactions when you were starting out? Literally would just come down to me calling my escrow officer, chopping it up for 10, 15 to get the rapport going and just talking for 30 minutes, asking her questions. Hey, what's this? Hey, yeah. what's this line item? Hey, why do you guys charge this? Hey, what is this recording fee? I could probably ask 99% of wholesalers that double close deals what their line items are and you know why are those charges there and they won't no even chance. Yeah. no chance yeah <laughs> i wouldn't on these deals i mean i remember one time i told you about this one harris you know getting a mobile home deal um with multiple heirs on on one you know on one will um you know need a you know the title company's like hey if you want to do this deal you need to contact a private investigator and you know find out who these heirs are so they could sign yeah. on this addendum so you could sell this thing i did it all myself right? Calling my attorney. Hey, what's this? What's that? So asking the right questions, trial and error as well. You know, if you don't do deals and you just want to become an escrow officer or become a TC, I mean, you're not going to learn. It just comes down to trial and error, um, eating shit, going through those deals where you maybe lose money or you didn't read the HUD correctly. And one day you wake up and like, okay, you know, I need to actually know what are these line items, right? What am I spending money on? Um, you know, what is a title commitment? So asking yeah. questions, um, and learning from mistakes, I think, is what taught me, um, you know, from a transactional standpoint, everything that I know. And not being scared to ask the question, right? I think it's a big thing, too, is so many people are so, like, they're so scared to say they're wholesaling a deal that they don't ask the right, they don't ask the questions at all, right? Yeah. And they just assume that people understand what they're trying to do without any proper communication, right? Um, you know, I, I know a handful of people that's happened to, right? Like, um, so I think that's huge, right? It's, it's like you said, not being scared to ask the question and not being scared to just like admit you don't know something. Yeah. Right. There's, there's so much power in just admitting like, Hey, I don't understand this. Can you explain? Right. Yeah. And what a lot of people don't realize is like a lot of time you'll build a deeper relationship with that person mm -hmm. by having them explain something to you. Yep. Right. So I think that's huge, man. Yeah. Um, it, guys, we're coming up right here on the uh, 55 minutes. So um, what is, you know, one thing that, you know, each of you guys want to kind of like leave with, you know, leave everybody with. Right. Um, and, you know, it doesn't have to be anything about real estate. It doesn't have to be anything about, you know, whatever you guys are doing. Just, you know, one piece of advice or one little tip that you want to leave everybody with. Um, Harris, we'll start with you. Um. Yeah, I guess just to kind of wrap up what, what we've been talking about for a majority of this podcast um, is, is take advantage of Wall Street, right? Like they're buying up hundreds of houses. Um, take advantage of it. You know, it doesn't have to be through us. Uh, you can go on LinkedIn. You can try and, you know, find these, these hedge funds yourself. Um, if you want the direct connect, then, you know, you can come to us. Um but take advantage of it because they're buying up hundreds of houses and they're netting, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 more than your other buyers. And you can take that money and 
uh, and grow your business, scale your business with it. So, yeah, don't miss out on the wave while it's here and while it's hot. Hell yeah. Neem, um, what about you, man? Yeah, man. I mean, I think the one thing that really sat on my mind and it's, it's currently sitting on my mind is, you know, if you're a wholesaler and you're watching this or, you know, for any of us, understand the market, right? Don't be blind. Don't upload that same list to call tools and call it and, and just hope, right? Understand the market, follow the money, um, you know, stay updated, right? Follow other people, continuously learn, uh, never stop learning and really just understand where the money is, where our market is at currently. And based off what value you can provide in the marketplace, where can you position yourself currently, whether you're a wholesaler and you want to transition to being a co-wholesaler, whatnot, um, just find your value and how you can monetize that value and, uh, and provide value to others. And you'll make the most amount of money right now. Hell yeah, guys. Love it. Love it guys. Now I appreciate you guys joining us for today. Um, you guys want to sign off real quick. I'm going to pull you off the screen real quick and we'll wrap this thing up. Thank you, man. It was Thank good you. seeing you. Austin. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another week of The Real Impact. Be sure to tune in next week, Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, that's it, guys. Peace.